Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. Today we are talking about sober sex, dating and relationships. And my guest is Tawny Laura. She's a New York City based millennial, also known as the sober sex expert. Her book, Dry Humping, a guide to dating, relating and hooking up without the booze is out in bookstores now. She also co-hosts the Signal Award-winning Best Buddy podcast, Recovery Rocks, and you can subscribe to her weekly column, Beyond Liquid Courage, about all things sober dating and relationships. You might already know Bonnie from her podcast, Recovery Rocks, with Lisa Smith, who's the author of Girl Walks Out of a Bar. And I also interviewed them both earlier on the podcast in episode 111. So Tawny, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you too. And actually, I was very excited to have this episode because I have to admit, I do not talk about sex very much. It's not (laughs) the area that I'm very comfortable 
talking about. And I've also been married for 20 years and with my husband since I was like 24 years old. So I think you've got a ton of experience to share. (laughs) And I'm going to ask you lots of questions. Bring it. Yeah. Well, first, tell me about the book and you and why you wrote it. Yeah, I really, it's going to sound so corny. I really wanted to write a book that I needed when I was newly sober. You know, I'd, I'd read tons of sober memoirs, you know, my bookshelf is full of Quitlet, you know, just like yours is. <laughs> and I really, I started this book actually as a memoir. And then I realized that there's a lot that I want to keep personal, a lot of my own story that I want to keep personal, but I'm still very obsessed with the conversation of sober sex, dating and relationships. So I pulled myself out of the story and put my journalistic hat on <laughs> and interviewed tons and tons of people, um, sober, sober, curious, queer, straight, non-binary, all different ethnicities, mental health professionals, doctors, you know, even people that drink, people that drink alcohol, people that are sober, curious. So my story is still a little, a little bit, as you know, my story is a little bit in the book, but it's predominantly about the cultural conversation of the role that alcohol plays in our love lives and our social lives and our, in, in our sex lives. Um, and then to counteract that, the role that sobriety can play in your life. Yeah. And I was surprised because, you know, when I read the, the title, especially like dating, relating and hooking up without the booze, number one, I thought it would apply more to people who are single to people who haven't been with their partner for a very long time. But in reading it, you absolutely cover people who've been in long-term relationships with a single partner, as well as a whole range of topics that I wasn't expecting. You know, beyond dating, relating, and hooking up without the booze, you also talk about boundaries and healthy relationships and conversation starters and, you know, a whole bunch of things that I wasn't expecting to read about or hear about, which was super helpful. And that is honestly such a compliment to hear because I wanted this book to be as accessible and relatable to as many people as possible. So, you know, if I hear that someone who's in a long-term relationship got something out of this book, that is the goal, you know? And when I hear that someone who still drinks alcohol learned something from this book and is able to apply it to their life. That's really the ultimate compliment, you know, just to show that we as a society are growing to hopefully more of a mindful approach to certain behaviors. But to your point, uh, the book is, you know, it's structured, you know, chapter one is dating yourself. It's how to take care of yourself, get to know yourself, heal yourself before you get into a relationship. But I also talk about, you know, if, There's a section of that that's like, if you already are in a relationship, you still need to do this work. I would argue maybe even more than a single person, you know, and, you know, the book really follows the whole relationship trajectory of, you know, getting to know yourself, um, getting to know your body, sober date ideas, sober sex, uh, trauma and PTSD. You know, there's a whole chapter on really heavy shit. And there's a chapter on breakups, sober breakups, like that's really, really hard. and. Ultimately, it ends with talking about how to be in a healthy, communicative, alcohol-free, or mindful drinking relationship. 
how to communicate with your partner, how to, there is a chapter about how to fight <laughs> with your partner, which might seem silly, but fighting is important. Mm-hmm. Um, communicating is very, very, very important. And these are all things that I learned on my own sober, personal sober journey, but I'm also in a long-term relationship with another sober person. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting too, in terms of going into even like the sober dating apps and we're going to get through all of this, but also something that I know a lot of my clients struggle with, which is dating someone who is still a heavy drinker and who may not be supportive of your decision to be sober. I thought also you go through the responses, you know, telling someone that you're not drinking, maybe telling someone who either you've already had a relationship with or someone brand new on a date, you know, what and their responses, like, are they defensive or freaked out or supportive or indifferent? Mm-hmm. And we approach it. And I actually was like, oh, my God, that is something that applies to literally every person who is stopping drinking deals with not only in romantic relationships, but even telling their mother, their sister, their spouse, their best friend, their colleagues at work. Yeah, I mean, it's, yes, this is a book about alcohol-free dating and relationships, but it's, it's not just romantic relationships, right? A lot of, a lot of this work is transferable to all interpersonal relationships. Getting sober has helped me be a better girlfriend, yes, but also a better daughter, a better friend, a better niece, a better writer, you know, like all of these communication skills and boundary setting that I talk about in a relation in a romantic relationship context, absolutely transfer to other relationships. Yeah. And I want to dive into all of that. And I thought it was really interesting that we have this conversation because I've definitely worked with clients who are dating and looking for a partner and have told me that there's one of the reasons they're not stopping drinking or are second guessing it is because they feel like it's a liability in Mm. a partner. They're worried that, quote unquote, no one's going to want to date a non-drinker. And I know that we all have before we stop drinking all these preconceived ideas about what drinking or not drinking will mean for our social life and our career trajectory and everything else. But I think when you're dating, it also adds that one more layer because as you wrote about a lot of dating and meeting people means restaurant or bar where you're drinking. Yeah, I kind of look at it as sober dating, sober sex, sober relationships. I look at it almost as like you're learning how to ride a bike without the training wheels. <laughs> you know, you're uh you you have an idea. Like you you have the foundation, you have the groundwork. You know what a date looks like. You know how to have sex, you know how to, you know, be be a girlfriend or but you know how to do all of that with alcohol. So, you know, this is this is really helping you I like to say cultivate intrinsic courage, learning how to, which is why chapter one, dating yourself is so important, getting in touch with who you are and working on yourself and finding that authentic, organic confidence. So you don't have to rely on liquid courage. And again, you don't have to be in recovery (laughs) to practice this. This is really for anyone who is a mindful drinker, sober, curious, 
or 20 years in recovery and completely abstinent from all substances. You know, it, it, if you could even take the word sober out and just call it mindful dating and relationships, you know, that's really what this is. Yeah. And I remember, you know, dating people are hooking up even in college and, you know, being with them, being pretty drunk. And the next morning being like, did we have a connection? What does he think of me? Um, yeah. <laughs> what What is the deal? Like, because I literally, that liquid courage also completely skews your ability to almost interpret cues about how they really feel about you. Are they bored? Are they interested? You know, whatever. I mean, and that's why we all, you know, have, have this shared joke of like beer goggles, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, oh, well, I had my beer goggles on last night. And it's like, you know, I feel like this book really unpacks what is that? Like, we kind of joke about beer goggles, but like, what does that really mean? Like, you were so drunk that you thought something was a good idea. Let's talk. Let's talk about that for for a little bit. Thought Someone was good looking or interesting. And yeah, and you're like, Oh my God, this person is someone I literally would never date. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Well, so let's dive in kind of at the beginning, like dating yourself. Yeah. You know, this chapter, it's, it really goes off of the, the age old concept of you, if you don't love yourself, how can it, how can you love someone else and how can you let someone else love you? You know, I am, Definitely not the first person to talk about the importance of of getting to know yourself before you enter a romantic relationship or work on your existing romantic relationship. Um, this book talks about that through the lens of sobriety, sober curiosity, or just alcohol-free life in general, and really figuring out why you're sober, why you're sober curious, why why do you rely on alcohol? or liquid courage to have a first date? Why do you rely on liquid courage to try something new in the bedroom? The first couple chapters really hone in on that. And a couple specific examples are, you know, addressing body image issues. A lot of people I interviewed talk about how they relied or still rely on alcohol to feel more confident with their body in in the bedroom which is super relatable i i relate I to like, that i feel that still it, like <laughs> very very relatable so you know and a, a lot of people um you know drinking to make themselves do something in bed that they wouldn't normally have the confidence to do maybe try a certain position that they're not comfortable trying without a little liquid courage and um and it's really each chapter gives the reader tangible tips as well as, you know, some writing prompts or meditation prompts to really think about like, why, why are you able to do this, this sexual position, uh, only if you're drunk? What, what, why do you need to be uninhibited? And what does being uninhibited mean to you? And I can't tell you that. That's, that's the very personal to you, to every single person, right? So. It's again, it's it's more about being mindful and present. And for me, you know, I share a little bit in the book of like my my drunk sex was largely performative. It was largely for other people. I wasn't prioritizing my own pleasure. And until I stepped back, did a lot of the arduous work on myself and therapy and peer support groups and writing and yoga and all this stuff that I figured out what 
sex means to me, what I want it to mean, unlearning what I thought it should mean, you know, what all those women's magazines and teen magazines that we, that we read, I internalized a lot of that. And so unlearning these tired tropes and figuring out, you know, what discerning what I want my sexuality to be versus what has been projected and expected of me. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting because you wrote about it in the book was faking orgasms, which I don't know who's listening to this, but I literally don't know anyone who hasn't done that. In yeah. Their life. Even if you just want to like speed up the process. Yeah. You're like, I'm tired. Let's go. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. Yep. I think <laughs> it all worked. Um, because you don't want to make them feel bad or whatever. Yeah. But you said that you actually, other than with yourself, had never had an orgasm during sex before you got sober. Yeah. I mean, it was very, you know, it was very difficult for me to find pleasure in sex in general. I thought that it, don't get me wrong. I had a good time. I, I, I had a fun time, <laughs> but like I said, it was largely performative. I didn't, I was so focused on the performance. I didn't let myself show up authentically, like as, as, you know, authenticity is like such a overdone word at this point, but like that, I really wasn't letting myself, um, because I was way more concerned with the other person's pleasure than my own, which is why, you know, in chapter one, I talk about the importance of getting to know your own body. Like there's a masturbation exercise <laughs> in chapter yeah, one. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> and that's totally fine. You know, Finding, getting in touch with my own body helped me realize what does feel good to me. And then again, that helped me feel more confident to ask for what I wanted in the bedroom. So I stopped faking orgasms, trying to please all these other people and learned, learned what I wanted, you know, and it should be sex, dating relationships. It should be a shared experience. I'm not saying it has to be fun all the time. It's definitely not. Um, but if you are engaging in a sexual act with someone else, be present with them, be, you know, do what feels good for you. If they want to try something that you're not ready to try, say that it's totally okay to say that. And if you want to try something new, it's totally okay for you to ask for that. And these are things that I just didn't have the intrinsic courage to stand up for myself when I was drinking. I didn't think I, I was not thinking about my own pleasure at all. It was sex was very much for other people or maybe like a bucket list like, oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> but it was, you know, it just I wasn't getting. Yeah, I wasn't having like a really soulful, deep sexual experience before. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective 
than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi is being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy. But one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. And one thing I found, you know, in terms of saying what you want or need or advocating for yourself, like for me, it was also just really practical. Like I am, you know, earlier late afternoon sex girl, right? Like that's when I'm awake and present Mm -hmm. and like in the mood, like it's definitely not first thing in the morning anymore. And like we go on date nights. But when we get home at 10 at night, I'm also, I'm like, oh, that's great. Feel super close to you. I'm fucking tired. You know what? Yeah, I I'm done. To crawl into bed. But you can actually have that conversation without being like, dude, we went on a date. So now we need to have sex, you know, and then it's way better the next day at two in the afternoon, you know? Well, and it's also like, you know, the sex columnist Dan Savage has a great line. It's like, um, what is it? Broaden your definition of sex and narrow your definition of cheating Mm -hmm. and focusing on the former of what you just said, or of what we're saying is like broadening your definition of sex. It like doesn't, you don't have to have intercourse when you get home from date night. Maybe you're, maybe you're snuggling and you're recapping your day and like you feel really content with that. Maybe you engage in mutual masturbation. Maybe one of you just wants to get off and the other person's too tired. And like who, there's no rules here. Like that, that's kind of the beauty of it is you and your husband can figure out what works best for you. And then when you have those conversations and you figure out what works best for you, it gets a lot easier because there's no expectation. There's no fault. There's no, there's no like disappointment. There's no false hope. It's just like if if you can communicate about what you want out of the evening and then if each of you can communicate about what you want out of the evening and you meet each other in the middle, that that's amazing. Who cares if you have penetrative sex or not? Like it's it's it is about a relationship is about so much more than that. 
Well, so let's start on, you know, something that I know very little about, which is sort of sober dating. You start with talking about, you know, how to communicate that you're alcohol free on dating apps or when you're Mm -hmm. meeting someone out for the first time, you know, do you text them? Do you tell them in person? Tell me about that. What, you know, the pros and cons, which I'm like, oh, that's (laughs) awesome. I mean, all of, so yeah, this is like the, there's a whole chapter about navigating the dating scene without alcohol. And um, it's like, the pros and cons you're talking about is like, okay, like option one, I can put sober on my dating profile or sober curious, alcohol free. I can, I can be very upfront on my dating profile. And then in the book, I talk about the pros of that and then the cons of that. And then I also talk about, um, you know, maybe waiting until after you've matched and you're, and you're DMing or FaceTiming or something. And then you can, you can talk about it. There's also the option of waiting until you're in person and, you're maybe even waiting a couple dates until you share something like that. Pros and cons for all of these different options. And for me, I am a Capricorn who loves efficiency. So I wanted, I just, I wanted to save my time and save everyone else's time. And I liked putting it on my dating profile. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be very upfront because the number one question is let's grab a drink <laughs> and. I just didn't want to waste anyone's time with that. And this was, again, I was sober dating in 2015 to 2018. So the dating apps were definitely a thing, but not anything like they are now. Like I, I was still dating, like I, IRL dating was still, <laughs> still pretty big at the time. So I definitely acknowledge that the game has changed a bit and there's, there's sober dating apps now, you know, and there's, I there are surprised by that. How big are they? Or are there, are there actually a lot of people on them? It definitely depends on the different areas. I would say like LA and New York city, Chicago, there's definitely a bigger pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, even apps like, you know, hinge and bumble and like bumble has a sober filter that you can play with. Um, hinge is great, I think, because you can disclose, you know, like it says like 420 friendly, moderate drinker, don't drink, like you can make it as big of a deal (laughs) as you want or as chill as you want. Some people want to lead with it and just like, look, I'm in recovery. Like I'm not fucking around here. (laughs) Some people want to be a little bit more covert, a little more low key and only talk about their sobriety or sober curiosity if it comes up in conversation that's you know that's fine too so i really wanted the reader to have multiple options and be prepared with the pros and cons and there's there's other i'm sure there's other options too there's just a few that i went over in the book but those are those were from my experience you know yeah and all the things that i've seen coming out in the news is that sober curiosity is a a much bigger thing now it's no longer if you don't drink or you don't drink often that i'm in recovery it might yeah. just be that it's a health choice or it's a mental health choice i mean generation z is drinking i mean significantly less mm-hmm. than their parents or grandparents did at the same time. And that's why there's so many more NA drink options and sober bars. Like it's no longer the biggest thing in the world. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm really grateful to see those studies come out because it definitely gives me hope for the future. I think as we all um I think as the West embraces more mindfulness and, you know, yoga, meditation, more people are vegan now than ever before. More people recycle. I mean, like we're just in a more I think culturally we're just more present. Um we're more aware of the food that we're eating, so it makes sense that we're more mindful of the of what what we're putting into our body with our drinks. Um, but I mean, I'm also very aware that people are drinking less alcohol and cannabis is being legalized <laughs> in many states. So like, I'm sure there's a correlation there. Um, but it's also like the, there is this societal expectation that you go get drinks on a date. There's not a societal expectation that you smoke weed <laughs> on a date, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, and sometimes I always think that let's get a drink is just sort of shorthand in the same meaning I want to spend time with you let's get together in the evening or whatever it is like it's not you know sometimes let's get a drink means let's get a beverage and talk and it doesn't really matter if you order a mojito or a non-alcoholic or zero proof mojito like what's the difference yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's a, let's get a drink implies alcohol, but it doesn't have to mean alcohol. Yeah. Um, and that is a great chance for, you know, you, the dater to say, yeah, like, let's go to this coffee shop or let's go to this new, you know, sober bar that just popped up. You know, like you can, like I said, you can make it as low key as possible. Like you don't have to like have this huge deal of like, well, I don't drink alcohol. So. My options are limited. It's like, well, here, here are these two options that I love. Yeah. And, you know, like really ha like have some confidence in it. Um, and, and I also, I have a chapter that's sober date ideas. I was going to say, I thought that was fantastic. Like it was, I had like, fun with that one. And be like, actually, there's this very cool thing going on. How about we do that? And it's, yeah, it's, not it's really, thing. it's, um, encouraging people to be more, to to engage in more activity based dates. And by that, I mean, you know, going for a walk, going to a botanical garden, going to a museum, like going to do do something cultural, do something. It's interesting because like the whole let's get a drink thing, even if you're at a coffee shop or you're at a sober bar or whatever, you're still just like you're still just sitting across from each other, <laughs> staring at each other. And it can be like really awkward. Like dating is really awkward. Let's be real. So that's why I encourage some sort of movement. So let's say you go to a museum, you're walking around and you're observing an exhibit and uh, you're looking at different pieces of artwork and sculptures or botanicals, wherever you go, you're, you're talking about what you're observing and you're experiencing this thing together as opposed to sitting at a coffee shop and what do you do for a living? Where do you know, what do you do for fun? Where are you from? That's fine. There's nothing wrong. With, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, um, this is just the experiential dates can, can create a little bit more of an intimate experience. You're, you're doing something new together, which is already really interesting as opposed to like unloading all of your shit on someone else for the first time. It's like, what do you think of this painting? What do you think of these botanicals? What do you think of these animals at the zoo? Like you're talking, you're talking about things as opposed to just talking about yourself, which mm -hmm. for 
you know, in early sobriety, I needed that. Yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to talk about myself. I wanted to talk about anything else. Um, so, you know, like dinner and a movie is a classic date for a reason. Like you don't have to, you don't have to have drinks for that. You can have a really nice dinner, go watch a movie. Then you talk about the movie that you just watched. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I found that even when I stopped drinking, one of the things I was, I was, not most scared of, but, but really had to think through carefully was date nights with my husband. Cause we used to always go drink, right? Like we'd go to a restaurant and drink, or we'd go bar hopping and sit at the bars and drink. And so I really was like, okay, what the fuck are we going to do? So yeah. I like whatever. And of course we knew each other really well. Um, we did things like, go to a waterfront park and bring books and listen to music and talk about all the people we were watching. Yes. Um, you know, that's also good because you're like sitting next to each other. You're not staring at each other. So in the same way that first dates are awkward, going out to dinner with someone who you've lived with forever and just deal with the <laughs> yeah. minutia of like bills and work and kids, like that's kind of awkward too because you're like, to do, you know, so you already know everything about each other. So it's like, so you need something to talk about something that yeah. gets you a topic that's interesting. Or we went to a bookstore and planned a trip to Amsterdam and went to a movie or sat at the sushi bar. Same way we used to sit at the bar at restaurants because yeah. then, you know, you could watch the people making sushi the way we used to talk to the bartender. So I think that your ideas are fantastic. And I like the activity-based ones, even for people who are figuring out how to date their spouse. Yeah. And I, I'm so glad that you that you shared that. I love the sushi idea. Um, you know, the chapter, it really, it gives people date ideas for wherever they are in their dating lives. So if you're, you know, first couple dates, if you're, if you've been together for a little while, and then like, mar you know, married, committed, like this is, you know, there's all these different date ideas for different levels of relationship. And, um, and you're, you're absolutely right. Dating your spouse, dating your partner, like you, you do need to like try some new things. You do need to observe some stuff instead of just talking about your day because you were already together all day. You already know what your day was like. Um, but it's like, that's why these experiential dates can be super helpful. And there is something too, like, if you can incorporate some movement, it definitely helps relieve anxiety. It can help you get rid of those first date jitters. Um, just adding any sort of movement, you know, go, going bowling, go roller skating, go, just going for a walk. Like even maybe you meet at a coffee shop, but then you go for a walk with your coffee, you know, like just, just adding a little bit of movement. Yeah. And by the way, it kind of makes you a more interesting person than yeah. just sitting around talking and, you know, ordering a couple of drinks. Like, and I feel like it ha helps you have more fun. Like one of the things I think is really fun is like, go to an amusement park. We just had a class. And like, you know, that giant boat that goes up and down and create like that hits your adrenaline. Like you're just like, damn, I am laughing in a way like yes. a that I haven't in forever. Oh my gosh. 
Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48, so if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. I, and, and that's such a good reminder that adults, we forget to play. We forget yeah. to be silly and play. So an amusement park is such a great idea of tr- getting a little bit of that adrenaline, doing something new or something you haven't done in years together. Yeah. Like, that's fun. Like, a, as like you said, dealing with the daily minutia of bills and kids and mortgage, like all this stuff is like, you have, you have to make time for fun. You have to make time for play. And I think, you know, kids, kids remind us of that pets, especially I just, we just adopted a puppy. She definitely oh <laughs> what she kind? reminds us of that. Um, she's a pit. She, we adopted oh. her at three months and she's uh, seven months now. And she's, she reminds me how important it is to be silly and just play. Yeah. Yeah. We got, when I was one year sober, we got two little Siberian tabby kittens, their brothers. <laughs> and like, I, it just brought me so much joy. Every, like they're watching their little bodies go down the stairs. I was like, Oh my God, I love you. And still now my son's home for the summer. I mean, all my family is, but my son literally is like sitting in the living room every time I come out of my office unless he's got sports or something I'm always coming out and being like hello gentlemen and I talk to them all the time and my son's like Jesus Christ how much time do you spend talking to your cats cats and I'm like dude I'm a little they make me happy yeah no same like my we have a cat as well like our our cat and dog like those are my coworkers. they we go on breaks together we do everything together Yeah. And when I like one of the things I did when I was um, not drinking, I would go on um, walks from work to like break up my day and get outside, Mm -hmm. get some movement. And um, there was right near my office, an off-leash dog park that went down to the water. um, And I would just walk there because it would make me happy, you know, like seeing all the different kinds of dogs, talking to people like it's just cool. That's been huge for me since we adopted our puppy. We have a dog park on our block here in New York City, which is such a gift to have that. And, you know, I take her name Stevie after Stevie Nicks. I take her there several times a day. And it is just 
like it's really hard to be grumpy when there's like dogs playing and like puppies jumping on you like it's it's just a reminder to like get out of your head there's a whole world out there other there's other species there's other humans there's like you know and i think a dog park is also like a really interesting way to meet people because you're already connecting over something organic like you're you're you live in the same neighborhood and you both have dogs so that's interesting right there um so like you know and i I share that because one of the biggest questions i get is like well how am i going to make friends let alone find a date how am i even going to make a friend without alcohol you know and it's it's really putting yourself in these different situations whether you're going to a dog park you're taking a writing class you're you take a pottery class you're you know what you have to find these new hobbies and these new places to go in order to find new people in your life that don't drink alcohol. Yeah, one of my clients was, um, you know, used to run a lot. And she joined a trail running group. And that was a great way for her. You know, you have more time, you have more energy. Mm-hmm. And stop drinking, want to get into shape. Because um, you've just been drinking and hung over for a long time. And you get that endorphin and that adrenaline and all that good stuff. So I think that when you drink, your entire world sort of shrinks. You don't even realize it. You're like unconsciously editing the interests you have, the people you hang around with, uh, the activities you do to incorporate alcohol. And it's actually a big opportunity once you stop drinking to like expand that. Like I found I made more friends and had more fun once I got out of the really crappy early sobriety piece. Yeah. In my first year alcohol-free, I made, you know, as a barometer when I quit drinking, it was 2016. It was really the world of Facebook. You know when they recap your friends? Yeah. Like I made more friends in the first year alcohol-free than I had in my previous three years. and. Online friends, they're like real relationships. Like, honestly, they knew more about me and reached out and connected with me more than some of my best friends from high school. Oh, I, I a thousand percent relate to that. I mean, I found, you know, Lisa, my podcast co-host, she and I met on Instagram. So many of my friends that I spend most of my time with are people that I found through New York City hashtag sober, (laughs) you know, like going to sober sober curious events um you meet like-minded people and even if if you even if you maybe you don't live somewhere where there's a a thriving sober scene um i think just finding new hobbies is an excellent way to meet people like i said like early sobriety i was taking writing classes i was studying spanish um i also joined a running group like whether or not my new friends drank didn't really matter because we met with this shared interest and we had these healthy hobbies that we shared together. We would meet up and run or we would meet up and study Spanish. And I, I needed those types of relationships in my life in order to, you know, grow as a human, but also I didn't want to just be alone all the time. I thought getting sober was going to be like sitting alone in my apartment. Like who's yeah, going to hang too. out with me? <laughs> you know. And it's it, it's like we like we just said it is actually the complete opposite of that. 
Yeah, I think one of the biggest fears everyone has is that they're going to be boring or bored when they stop drinking or sort of socially ostracized. And if you put in some effort and creativity, you will find that your life is infinitely more interesting and you're more interesting when you stop drinking. Um, it, it takes some effort, right? You have to go out and join some things and try some new stuff. And you're going to be uncomfortable because that's just life anytime you do something new. But it's good, too. It's it's hard. You know, I don't, I don't want to sugarcoat it and say that, you know, sobriety is is easy because it's real. It's not. And early sobriety can be one of the hardest things you ever do. Even sober curiosity could be one of the hardest things you ever do, you know. But I would also argue that, at least for me, living, walking around with undiagnosed mental health issues and self-medicating with alcohol was also really, really hard. Yeah. So you really just have to pick, as corny as it sounds, you just kind of have to pick which level of difficulty you're going to go with. Yeah. Well, and so one thing I wanted to dive into from your book that I think a lot of people deal with is, you know, I talked about how when you were talking about communicating you don't drink, there are different levels of responses. So defensive, freaked out, supportive, indifferent, sort of built into that is dating or relationships or already being in a marriage or a partnership with someone who is a heavy drinker, because that's unique. I mean, one of the things I know they have on dating profiles is like some version of big drinkers, or they mention it a lot in their interests, or they are holding a lot of, you Mm -hmm. know, drinks in every picture. Like, tell me about that scenario. And then we'll talk about if you're already in a long term relationship with a big drinker. Yeah, I mean, that is that's one of the biggest questions that I that I received while writing the book. And I still actually in in that weekly advice column, this most recent week, I did an an issue on that of like, you know, this guy that I'm dating, this is this is a question, not me. But you know, this a reader was like this guy that I'm dating, you know, we have a really good time, we have great sex, but he, he drinks pretty frequently, and he does coke sometimes. And I don't, it was this, it was this delicate balance of like, I want to meet him where he is. Like we're having fun. He's not my forever, but he's Mr. Right now. <laughs> so it's like, how do I do this? Um, and it's, I really think that in order to navigate those types of situations, like to go back to the very beginning of the episode, you have to really focus on the dating yourself part. The longer that you spend dating yourself and really focusing on your shit, the more capable you are of handling these types of situations, you'll know, actually, this is actually really triggering. I can't date someone who does coke. <laughs> I can't date someone who who drinks excessively or even drinks. Maybe you can't even be with someone who has a glass of wine at dinner. Like you have to know you have to know these things. Yeah. And you have to figure out what works best for you. When I was early sober dating, anytime someone had a drink, in their in their profile picture on the apps, I was a swipe left. I was like, if you're going to lead with that, I'm out. Like I, if you, I could date a social drinker. I dated casual drinkers. That was not a problem for me. But like, 
if you're getting shit faced on a Tuesday night, like what do we have to talk about? Like we're not in the same, <laughs> we're not in the same hemisphere right now. Really tricky. And the reason that I air all of that is because I don't think you should date and put yourself in these situations until you're absolutely ready, which is again, why it is essential to focus on yourself. And one of the things you talk about is signs that you shouldn't date a drinker. And, you know, that's definitely something that I've seen too. Like, and the biggest one is when they drink, you fantasize about sharing that drink with them. And I, I, I don't think it's unusual for anyone who it loved drinking and had a love hate relationship with alcohol because it also made you feel like shit or whatever. Um, to not be jealous of mm-hmm. someone in front of you having a drink, right? Because I feel like, you know, I went to a wine bar, long story, but it was at the end of a hot air balloon ride for my birthday that I, before I quit drinking. And I went in there and everybody was tasting red wine, which was my jam. And I literally like left in tears because I felt like they were making out with my ex-boyfriend and I loved him so much more than they ever could. So it's normal to be jealous or resentful in early sobriety if someone is drinking around you. And that's where a boundary comes in, right? Where you need to be like, all right, I'm checking in with myself and Mm -hmm. a whole lot of negative emotions, you know, that are not good for you. You know, even if you don't drink, anytime you're hanging out with someone on a date, if you feel, you know, resentment and jealousy and anger, like maybe that's a sign it's not a great date. Yeah, you don't want to feel that way, especially like the the first time you're meeting someone, if those feelings are arising, I that's probably not who you need to be spending your time with right now. Yeah, it's uh, and I loved your metaphor of a. Uh, seeing people drinking red wine like they were hooking up with your ex that's brilliant i mean that's dating someone who drinks can bring up a lot of emotion it can bring up jealousy like you said some resentment um for me it brought up like well how come they know how to have one drink and stop but i don't you know it was like what's wrong with me why can they do that and i can't and it just like it put me in some not great headspace and that wasn't good for my early sobriety so you know i had to i had to figure out it really is like the body scan like a gut check of like getting present with your body like your intuition listening to your gut your body knows like your body knows if you're uncomfortable and i think something that um i don't know this this motto i guess that i've kind of adopted if it's not a hell yes it's a hell no yeah. That uh, that doesn't apply to every situation, but it applies to to more than you would realize. And I definitely integrated that into my dating life or even making new friends once I quit drinking. You know, I was like, if I feel a, even a little bit uneasy around this person's drinking, it's not good for me. And yeah. that, you know, brings us into another topic of like, this is why people often feel defensive if you quit drinking. Um, they think you're being judgmental and you're not, you're actually taking care of yourself. Like it's, this has nothing to do with you. I just cannot, I cannot be around this type of behavior right now. And someone is, well, 
take offense to that. Like, that's just how it is. And it sucks. It's really hard. You learn who your real friends are. You learn who your drinking buddies are. Um, it's, it's painful. It's actually quite painful. Well, and I know also that like stopping drinking is, Drinking is so tied to our identity if we've done it for years and years and years. And there are a lot of beliefs around what it does for us. You have a lot of fears about what will happen to your relationship when you stop drinking. But I found that the partners also have a lot of fears on what it means when you stop drinking to the point where like husbands have been worried that their wives won't be interested in them anymore. Mm-hmm. Or will grow apart from them, like their own insecurities about you no longer wanting to be with them if you get healthy and jealous of the new friends you're making. And, all, you know, even if you're improving, there's this desire to like pull you back into what they're used oh, to. Oh, yeah. That's, and you know, even just hearing you describe all, all of this. It's, it should sound like a no brainer, right? Like if someone's jealous or mad at me because I'm getting healthy, what does that say about them? <laughs> you know? Well, and I think the same thing happens when someone tries to sabotage you or mocks you for not drinking or pressures you to just have a drink, whether it's a friend or someone new you're dating or anything else, because, you know, imagine you were a vegetarian and they were a meat eater. Like part of it is like, who cares? You guys just ordered different meals, but like, they were like, come on, why just have one burger? Like, you'd be like, dude, that is incredibly shitty of you, right? It's it's insensitive. It's, it's unnecessary. And I mean, it's it's, weird. Like someone was like, just have a taste of meat. You'd be like, that's fucking weird. (laughs) I don't eat meat. It's really strange. It's, you know, I think anyone who is who loves you for you and is supportive of you will accept and support your decision to not drink or to drink less right now. Anyone who questions, who doubts you, who tries to convince you to keep drinking, those are some like raging red flags. And when those red flags come from someone you've been with for 15 years, 20 years, even your committed partner of two years, you know, like that can be really, really hard. Um, when you, like you said, take a stand to get healthy and the other person doesn't want to, it's really, really difficult to keep those relationships going. Um, the other person is most likely going to feel judged and, you might realize alcohol is the only thing you have in common. Um, you might also just have some really uncomfortable growing pains and go to couples therapy and individual therapy and work on your shit. And maybe you'll find some happy medium, you know, like it's relationships are really hard and you have to put a lot of work into them. Anyone who says, a, you know, relationships should be relationships are easy like if it requires a lot of work it's not worth it i don't like i don't know what kind of relationship they're in like that's insane your relationship with yourself requires constant work so of course your relationship your marriage your partnership is going to require a ton of work hi there if you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking but keep starting and stopping and starting again, 
I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step -step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one -on -one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it. And when it fits into your schedule, you don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step -step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Yeah, and sometimes it's just needing to give them some space to mm -hmm. see it's going to be okay. Like when I stopped drinking, all I told my husband was that I was taking a 100-day break. I didn't, I was freaked out by the idea of never again. I know he would be completely freaked out. And so we kind of eased into it without this, like, so we figured out that we could have sex and we could date and we could mm. do all these things. And actually our life was more peaceful and I was less emotionally unstable and, you know, things flowed better. There was hard stuff too, but I think easing someone in and you talk about this in your book that when you're drinking, you let a lot of shit go or you're numbed out that once you stop drinking, you realize it's not okay and it's okay to put down new boundaries and hold them to respecting that. You know, they may not immediately be like, oh my God, I know what your boundaries are. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's our partners aren't mind readers, right? I mean, they, we have to communicate what's going on with us and so they can know how to show up for us, how to support us. And, you know, if, if you're listening and someone that you love is sober or sober curious, like I highly recommend, um, you know, Al-Anon meetings, um, super helpful. They're designed for people who love someone who is in recovery, but they don't necessarily have to be even sober curious counts, I think. Um, and this could be Al-Anon is helpful for anyone who's like in recovery from, you know, eating disorders, gambling and anything. It's really a lesson on like it gives you the tools on how to take care of yourself so you can show up for them, not how to fix them. Yeah. And that is one of the hardest parts. Like the the most supportive thing you can do for a loved one getting sober is just let them know that you're there for them. Check in periodically, ask how they're doing. But 
it's not your responsibility. As much as you love them, it is not your responsibility. And it's really, really difficult to accept that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know we're kind of coming to the end, but I want realize that I'd love to talk more about the thing that I don't talk about a lot. So talking about sober sex, but like tips you have aphrodisiacs and sexual liberation, like give me the dirt or give our (laughs) listeners ideas of all the things I never talk about. Well, there is a whole chapter called herbal aphrodisiacs. And I, one of my pandemic hobbies was studying herbalism and I am not an herbalist. I'm very amateur. It's just reading about herbs is just a fun hobby. (laughs) Um, But I learned that there are some herbs that have historically been used for their aphrodisiacal (laughs) effects, which means they have historically been used to help you relax, help you get in the mood. And as with any medication, talk to your doctor before even entertaining possibly integrating herbal medicine into your life. But you know, in the book, I, I talk about certain herbs that have been used to, you know, stimulate libido, uh, decrease erectile dysfunction, you know, things like that. And also just some herbs that are designed to help you relax, help you, like, the more relaxed you can feel, the easier it is to get in the mood, the easier it is to uh, get intimate with somebody. But it's also, some, <laughs> there's a section of that chapter called emotional aphrodisiacs, and it really boils down to communication. And it's about talking. (laughs) You know, it's about it's about communicating like what you're feeling, you know, maybe doing some different sensory play, finding other ways to get into your body. And the reason I'm throwing all of these other alternatives out there is because a big question that I get is like, okay, like, how do I feel like I just took a shot of tequila without taking a shot of tequila? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And while there's there. I'm I'm really sad to report there is no direct replacement for alcohol. There is no direct replacement for liquid courage. Like the reason we all loved it so much is because it's fast. It's easy. It it has a really quick body response. Like it's easy to get. It's cheap. Like alcohol is very easy to get and it changes your mood within minutes. Right. There's no there's no other thing that can do that. And so the whole point of this book, honestly, is to get you to slow down, get you to figure out what what's going on with your body and mind without alcohol. Mm-hmm. And if you do miss the liquid courage, like there is no there's no quick band-aid, <laughs> you know, like the the replacement for liquid courage really it's work. And I just want to be very transparent about that. It is doing work on yourself, doing work on your romantic relationships. Um and then that's like like I was saying, that's how you're going to cultivate that intrinsic courage as opposed to liquid courage. There's no get rich quick scheme. There's no there's no lose 20 pounds in a week. Like none of none of this stuff that happens really fast is good for you or worth your time. So and I I would I would apply that same thing to liquid courage. Well, although you're completely and totally right, one of the things I think is part of the most valuable piece of your book is the conversation starters, including around how to mix things up in the bedroom or how to try new things or how to talk about what you might be interested in trying or liked or didn't like, because, you know, that's something I'm not used to doing. And so I like, and I'm sure a lot of other people aren't as well. So I think that it's helpful 
that you have in there how to broach these conversations with like a mini script. Yeah. And, you know, it's the the book itself is full of different conversation starters for different different parts of your dating, sex, relationships, whatever. And they're really designed to just be a jumping off point. You can read them word for word. You can figure out, you can change some stuff to make it more relatable to your relationship or to what you want personally. But, you know, th- those conversation starters, that that's what I needed in early sobriety. I had no idea how to communicate what I was going through, you yeah. know, like you would be surprised how impactful it can be if you just tell maybe you're about to have sober sex for the first time you tell someone hey this is the first time i've done anything sexual without alcohol i really need to take this slow and just that sentence alone can be profoundly impactful and i would say it's also a good filter because if that scares someone away if they want something quick that's not your person that's not you want someone who's going to be patient with you and I didn't know how to stand up for myself like that with, like I was saying, my sex before was largely performative. It was for other people. So when I learned how to center my own pleasure, that gave me the confidence to say, I need to take this slow. Then once I learned how to take things slow, then I learned how to ask for certain things in the bedroom and open up conversation. What is there anything you would like me to do in the bedroom? You know, that I, Again, we're not mind readers. I don't, everyone's body is so different and you have to communicate what feels good for you, what actually doesn't feel good for you. Maybe you're like, you know, like you said, you were having drunk sex with your husband for so long. Like it's possible you were doing positions that you don't do anymore. Like you have to communicate like, oh, I don't, I I can't do that anymore (laughs) because I don't drink now. You know, like these, these are the things that can change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so much in this book that I love. I mean, you talk about queer dating and sex and um, a whole lot more. I want people to buy this book. I think it's helpful whether you're married or single or dating or, I mean, boundaries and conversations and dating yourself. It's all really good. Um, what haven't we touched on that you kind of want to pull out? I know we didn't get to building a sex room <laughs> and a whole bunch of other stuff. You, yeah, you have to buy the book for that. No, I mean, I would just remind everybody like, you know, you don't have to hit rock bottom to change your relationship with alcohol. Um, you can find that dating, um, dating when you drink might lead to you picking the wrong people. You can find that when you have a drink, it might lead to this other uh, self-destructive behavior. Like, you know, you don't have to lose everything before you make a change in your life. And you don't have to give up alcohol completely. You know, some people just want to give up alcohol in their dating life and that and they might still drink with their girlfriends. But, you know, you really have to figure out what works best for you. And this book is designed to really to meet you where you are and and just give you give you some tools to keep in your back pocket and remind you that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So where can people find the book, find you to learn more? Yeah, um, you can find the book, you know, wherever you get wherever you get books. I'm always a big advocate for supporting a local local bookstore. And you can order online from a local bookstore. You could swing by a bookstore. 
Um, my weekly advice column about this exact topic is called Beyond Liquid Courage. You can subscribe to that. It comes out every Wednesday because hump day. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you can find me on social media at Tawny M. Lara. I'm on, I'm on all of it and I'm tired. <laughs> oh my God. Can I tell you, I made a note of what I wanted and on this because it resonated with me. So here's what you wrote at one point that I like highlighted. You said, the older I get, the less value I assign to sex. Or maybe I just think about sex differently. I now value intimacy, communication, and snuggling as much as, if not more than, sexual acts. Maybe it's sobriety. Maybe I'm just tired. Yes. <laughs> As a 47-year-old mom of two, I was like, maybe I'm just tired. Yeah, that's maybe that's my next book. <laughs> right. Oh my god, that would be the best. That would be the it's best. It's true. Time. I mean, it's it yeah, it I used to think that sex was the most important thing in a relationship. And as my therapist would frequently remind me, you know, why are you using sex as a barometer for a healthy relationship? There's so much more. And again, this is all stuff that I had to unlearn, you know, growing up reading these magazines, like if you don't please your man three times a week, he's gonna blah, 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 blah. blah. And I'm just like, I internalized that. Oh, yeah. And now, you know, that contributed to me being performative in the bedroom of like trying to be this version that I thought I was supposed to be. And it was exhausting to really, it was masking, you know, it really was putting on an act. And once you get honest with yourself and you realize that your relationship with alcohol needs to change, then you get honest with yourself about other stuff. And um, and then you also learn that there is so much more to a relationship than sex. Sex is just one one part. And there is a whole chapter on sex versus intimacy that I think is is super important. Um, intimacy, I would argue, is even more important than prioritizing sex. You don't have to have sex a certain amount of times every week. But I do think it's very, very important that you have even a few minutes a day of just one on one time with your partner, yeah. just, you know, having coffee together in the morning or going for a walk at night, like you have to have those moments of connection. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting, um, I think, and and this may be an outdated term. So you can tell me it's like the idea of understanding each other's love language. Yeah, um, yeah, so exactly. Yeah, like what they really care about, but also what you really care about. So for my husband, I think his love language is like physical intimacy and then like acts of service, but like helping. Mm -hmm. Like I know if he's super grumpy, I can like, we can have sex or like I can do a bunch of gardening with him. Like the man loves it. Oh, yeah. That's what he does all the time. But for me, it's like, really important that like we never leave the house without saying I love you when he comes in the door we hug and kiss first thing you know yeah. all like that is you know we don't get off the phone without saying love you like for me that's my love language and I'm like if we didn't do that I'd be like what the fuck you know like but it's different and so I think that you know when you're talking about intimacy and love and sex and sex not just being um you know traditional sex that everybody imagines from the movie like that idea of how what do you value and understanding mm. that for yourself too 
Absolutely. And figuring out what you value, communicating that with your person, then they can communicate what they value. So you know how to show up for each other. Like you said, gardening is really important to him. And that is a really strong way that you can show up for him. Like you, we need, we need to know these things about each other. Cause like, yeah, sex is, sex can be important and it can be fun and all, and all these things. But, you know, as you read in the book, there's also, I've interviewed several asexual people who just sobriety helped them realize they actually don't like sex, but they still want to be in relationships. They still want a companion. They just, they just don't actually like having sex. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and I think that, you know, maybe that's the perfect way to, to end it is like sexual liberation can, is really whatever you want it to be. It could be something as, you know, extravagant as like going to sex parties, but it could also mean figuring out that you don't like sex or that you don't like certain positions or you don't want to be touched in certain places. That's also sexual liberation. And for me, I didn't know how to access that type of freedom with, without uh, giving up alcohol. Perfect. Well, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for writing this book. I know it's super valuable for so many people. And there's not a lot of books out there on this topic. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.